Welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm Jonathan Carl, ABC News Chief White House Correspondent. And I'm Rick Klein, ABC News Political Director. Rick, here we are. It's health week. It's health week uh, <laughs> on the campaign. Uh, the issue I, I didn't really think was going to uh, was become quite as front and center as it has. Uh, but we now uh, we now have two candidates uh, who, you know, is, are both on the older side of presidential candidates who have been uh, essentially forced to release uh, some more information. Of course, uh, Hillary Clinton because of a, uh, a, a really disturbing uh, uh, episode of the 9-11 ceremony. Yeah, and forced to, I think, is a, is a good way of putting it. I mean, these candidates are, by any objective standard, historical or otherwise, old they're 68 if you're Hillary Clinton, you're 70 if you're Donald Trump. They've also, by any historical standard, provided very little actual detailed medical information um, about, the, about what they've gone through in the past and about their status of their current health. They've done letters from the doctors. It should be said Hillary Clinton's letter was far more detailed than Donald Trump's, which was essentially a joke when you get down to it, you know, claiming he'd be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. But all that has begun to change. And it happens in the context of Donald Trump hitting her on stamina not-so-coded way, the coughing fits uh, that, uh, that punctuated her, her return to the campaign trail after Labor Day, a diagnosis of pneumonia that we only learned about 48 hours after it actually happened. And the reason, of course, we learned about it is that she was forced to leave a 9-11 event early, the video emerging of her stumbling her way into a van, appearing to even lose consciousness with Secret Service. It, it was really a wild couple of days, and it has forced a good degree of extra disclosure about the candidates. We're talking about their health, which I think is an appropriate thing to be talking talking about when you're talking about a commander-in-chief. And Rick, and I, and I want to get to a little more. I thought there were some issues raised with, with the disclosures about, uh, again, the transparency question and, and, and what Hillary Clinton has said in the past. And I still think Donald Trump's a, a, you know, a far way away from a, from a full disclosure here. But I don't think this is going to be the central issue in this campaign. But this is a campaign now uh, looking at a, a whole wide range of, of recent polls, national polls, statewide polls in, in, in the key battleground states that looks like it is approaching a dead heat. I would still argue uh, that Hillary Clinton is the front runner here, is in the lead, but the momentum is with Donald Trump. The, new, the two most recent polls I'm looking at are the New York Times CBS poll, which shows it exactly tied in a, in a four-way race. And uh, the, the the Quinnipiac poll, uh, which shows in a, in a, in a two way race, uh, and I'm sorry, in a four way race, a two point uh, race, two points for Hillary Clinton, but well within the margin of error, uh, basically a tie, a statistical tie here. Uh, what's going on? Well, I, I think a few things, and I've talked to a number of people on both sides of the aisle. First of all, the convention bump that uh, that Hillary Clinton got, I think, was accentuated by a little bit of a sugar high in that Donald Trump had maybe the worst period of his campaign right after the convention. So I think when you saw things widening into the double-digit range, 10, 12 points uh, in some polls, this was never going to be a 10 or 12-point election. That's just not how the country is divided. And and unless Trump continued to, frankly, screw it up, this wasn't going to be that wide. So the true nature of the race was a lot closer. You you add on to that the fact that she went, you know, basically – off the trail dark for a couple of weeks at the end of August where she raised money. Uh, and the latest polls were out in the middle of the time that the, that the health issues were going on. And, and, and he's a much more aggressive presence out in the battleground states. And, of course, it's closer. It, 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 that shouldn't surprise. Now, you know, we've seen from Democrats fall back to the electoral map and let's look and see, you know, where, it, where it's going to be. And, John, you've done some interesting analysis on this yourself. I mean, the electoral map is still a pretty stubborn thing if you're Donald Trump. It is. And we saw – 
you know, I mean, the, the amazing thing here, so you have these new polls out, Trump up three in Florida, up five in Ohio. Those are the two CNN polls. Those are those are the states that we have obsessed over in every presidential election. And rightfully of, so. They're really of, big and they're of really our swingy. lifetimes, yes. They yeah. are they are big, they are swing. The candidates that win those states tend to win uh the uh the presidency. But here's the amazing thing about that map. And I've spent too much time uh going through the various uh, scenarios. But you could actually see Donald Trump win Florida, win Ohio, and fall short of 270 electoral votes. And there are a number of ways that can happen. Yeah, you're right. You're and, right. You're right. You know, I mean, the, the biggest thing is you've seen states that uh, had been more firmly Republican in the past, especially Virginia, uh, look like they're pretty solidly Hillary Clinton right now. We haven't seen a single poll in Virginia that shows, you know, Trump, uh, a, a Trump winning there. And Colorado as well. Uh, Colorado seems to be uh, pretty solidly in, in, in the Clinton camp. So suddenly... Trump needs to not only win those battleground states, he needs to win the Ohio's and the Florida's, but he also needs to pick off another pretty blue state. And, you know, the, the one they talk about is is Pennsylvania. But, man, that's a that's a steep climb. Yeah, I mean, naming the person that thinks that that's, that's going to happen for Donald Trump. And, and you know, you're, you're exactly right. A battleground state is almost – almost doesn't really describe the status of this election because most of the battle – is being uh, is being waged on democratic turf, and uh, Hillary Clinton obviously, if she just you know, if she just holds the Obama state, she wins, and she has a lot of margin forever there that would even include Ohio and Florida, which is a pretty incredible thing. Speaking of Ohio, you know, John, our colleagues uh, Mary Alice Parks uh, and uh, and uh, Gary Westphalen have been uh, w- running around Ohio the last couple of days, and it's fascinating stuff. If you haven't checked out their project, check it out online. It's called Step Right Up. They're going to some county fairs. I just want to show – I just love listening to voters sound on these things. Take a listen to some of what they've gathered out there on the trail. I'm between Clinton and Johnson because I'm mostly against Trump. What do you think Donald Trump would do that would be good for Ohio? Bring back our jobs. He's going to put everybody back to work. Do you feel like you trust Hillary Clinton as commander-in-chief? Yes, I do. I, I, I think she has some experience there, a lot more experience than Trump. So he's going to put everybody back to work. It's Isn't a good that thing great? that the expectations haven't been set too well, high. Well, to me, this is so fascinating because this is how the, 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 the battle really is waged. And it's a state like Ohio, which has urban areas and rural areas and, you know, parts of it that are deep, deep blue and parts that are deep, deep red. And it adds up into this, you know, really unique shade of purple in the end. And the way, you know, the, the little snippets that people – take away from this campaign, uh, you know, there's no great love for either candidate, but they are hitting on some of the major slogans. And it, it does make me think, again, this is just becomes a base election. Whoever gets their people out, you know, even if it's against the other side, is the one who wins. And uh, the idea of, you know, this this vast number of, uh, of, of voters who are, you know, truly swinging and listening and hanging on every word, that, that just may not be where this thing happens. So you heard the first voter there say that he was Trying to decide between Gary Johnson and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Uh, that's that's an interesting. Uh, oh, and look at the polling now with Gary Johnson. All of a sudden, uh, Quinnipiac. I think he's at thirteen. I, I, we're starting to see him, you know, bounce into the double digits, and that's. It must have been the Aleppo bounce, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> what is what is? It, it, maybe well, can I ask you a serious news. question? You know, th- so that was a, that was one of the most embarrassing gaps oh, gaps my. we have seen from a presidential candidate in a long time. You know, going on uh, Morning Joe with uh, with our friend uh, Mike Barnacle and. Uh, you know, being, uh, you know, uh, absolutely clueless as to what, what Aleppo is. Um, but is it 
possible that he gets a, actually a little bit of a, of a bounce out of that simply because it got a lot of coverage and people saw there was a guy named Gary Johnson running for president? Ooh, that would be ugly if it's true. <laughs> if and then, and then maybe a lot of people also don't know what Aleppo is doing. Yeah, like, uh, I guess. Well, I guess maybe not. All right. I, 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 I but, but let me ask you. Let me ask you because I know you're really good on predictions. And uh, let's make sure we file this tape. So the um, – <laughs> The, the Quinnipiac poll does have Gary Johnson with 13%. He got 0.99% when, when he ran as the Libertarian candidate four years ago. So let me ask you, what percentage of the vote will Gary Johnson get on November 8th? Six. Yeah, you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> what's, the, what's the right number? I think he's going to get eight. Oh, it's wow, go, wow. He's going to get a the margin of error there, John. Right. I think people, when they focus on the choice, they, the, the, the numbers go down. You get a lot of, you'll get a lot of attention up to, the, up to the very end. You know, John, there's another story I, I wanted to, to get your take on because I know you've covered the gentleman in question here for quite a bit. But this has been a big season of hacking, a lot, a lot of hacking going on of emails, uh, the DNC and the, the Republican operatives and the rest. But now Colin Powell's Gmail. Wow. I mean, there's some doozies in there and they're recent ones. You're seeing just from a couple of months ago. What do you make of this? I mean, he is he is really venting on Donald Trump, but no great love for Hillary. Uh, you know, first of all, before we dive into this and look at his personal emails, let's talk about how creepy it is yeah. that the, the, the hacking, the extent of the hacking, all of it apparently originating from Russia Going in, you know, the first thing was the DNC emails, which were, you know, so perfectly timed to come out uh, just as the convention was getting underway in Philadelphia. And, you know, now these, these Colin Powell, who's no longer a public official, who's, uh, you know, private Gmail account, suddenly out there, uh, you know, for, for the world to see. And, and if this does turn out to be not just something originating in Russia, but something tied to the Russian government, the idea that the Russians are trying to interfere with a United States presidential election and actually succeeding is, you know, maybe the single biggest story of this campaign. It, it, you're right, talking about all the things we haven't seen and that, you know, we'd like to see in terms of transparency, the amount of things that we never should see in the first place, including up to and including Colin Powell's emails. Uh, is astounding. And the fact that the Russians are behind it or appear to be behind it, according to uh, intelligence officials, is 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 really troubling. I mean, my goodness, that that could be the big thing that we're not talking about. I agree with that, John. But, you know, the, the much of the attention in the Powell emails was what he said about Trump. And, and let's face it, if Powell, once this blows over, gets around to endorsing somebody, we know it will not be Donald Trump. You think? I fully, you think? <laughs> I, I, uh, yes. I mean, yes, I, I do. But, but, Rick, did you see what he said uh, about Hillary Clinton? I mean, I, let me just give you one quote. Everything HRC touches, she kind of she kind of screws up with hubris. Mm. That does not sound like a glowing endorsement of somebody running for president. It's, it's that's a that's a line that stings. You're right. I mean, he, look, he's he's like America in that he seems disaffected by the choices right now, and clearly we know where he's leaning. I don't think there's any question about that. But the question of, of where he puts his actual allegiances. And, you know, the, the fact also is such a as a prominent African-American leader, perhaps the most prominent, you know, in the political sphere of his generation, uh, the way that he bristles at, the, at, at Trump's efforts to reach out to African-Americans to me is fascinating as well. This is not 
this is not at all uh, a guy that that's convinced that there's that there's something going on here. He, he says it's just plain offensive. And you know, he uh, I thought it was interesting, by the way, to see uh, Emily Miller's name pop up in here. Emily Miller, who, who we know many many moons ago worked at ABC, uh, but was his uh, spokesperson at the State Department and was involved in that famous incident with the uh, the, the Tim Russert interview where where she pushed the camera away because Russert was going over time and. Um, uh, it's just, it's just interesting that, uh, uh, that this is, uh, that he's still, you know, talking to her very recently and, and being quite, uh, candid with her about, about the race. It was, it was in the email to Emily Miller that he calls Trump a national disgrace and an international pariah. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. And, uh, you know, I, I also think, you know, the, 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 you know the kind of unvarnished take you get from him right now on on, on Trump reflects a, a generation of uh, of establishment Republicans, uh, people that feel like the, they didn't leave the party as much as the party left them. I mean, they, they just see him as downright an offensive personality, and and that's what puts the polling in such an interesting light right now. Is that you know you're seeing a realization uh, as he draws closer that that this person that they all deem to be just patently unqualified and offensive uh, could actually get the job. Yeah, uh, but before we leave Powell's emails, can we mention a couple others? I mean, Please. These are... <laughs> let's have some dramatic by reading. Way, you want? <laughs> by the way, you know, I I covered Powell uh, at the State Department. I, I I knew him before he was Secretary of State, and uh, I he he's just uh, um in 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 private, he is a very entertaining person to talk to, uh, very candid, and you really see you 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 hear you hear that voice that you never see in public come through. In these emails, and you know, a lot of his analysis is, uh, you know, reflects a lot. Like I said, a lot, like you said, a lot of where America is. But man, we 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 knew that he didn't like Donald Rumsfeld and and, and Dick Cheney. But uh, but but it's uh, it's kind of fun to see in his own words here, referring to uh, former Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld as the idiot rummy. <laughs> <That's> just great, <laughs> and uh, and 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 Liz and Dick Cheney as idiots. Uh, and a spent force peddling a book that ain't going nowhere. I mean, he's uh, he's still fighting some of those battles. Yeah, wow. Yeah, you're right. It's it, they're, they're, they go back quite a ways, and, and the fact that they're still they're still now uh, tangling is is quite fascinating. And I think Trump, you know, exposes that division as well. I mean, you have you have some of the some of the folks, including Rumsfeld, including Cheney, who say you know they they are Trump supporters. You're not going to hear that from Colin Powell. And and you noted that he actually uh, talks about. Hillary Clinton's health in an email from a little over a year ago. Yeah, that's, he's that, concerned about her health. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in this email, going back and forth with a prominent uh, Clinton donor, as a matter of fact, he says, uh, you know, I, I I think there's something to it regarding health. On HDTV, she doesn't look good. She's working herself to death, making the point that she'll turn seventy her first year in office. And you know, the the health storyline has been out there for a while for her. It's back in in force. But you're right in the in in these private thoughts from someone who's about a decade older, by the way. Uh, the real concerns. Yeah, undoubtedly. Well, uh, Rick, we've got to take a quick break. We will be back with an exclusive interview, at least exclusive on our podcast. I mean, it's the only place you'll find it on our podcast with Barack Obama's former doctor, the doctor that wrote the letter attesting to his health when Obama was a candidate back in 2008. We'll be back in a moment with Power House Politics. <laughs> Politics. 
Hello, it's John Carl. I just wanted to let you know about something very cool that we're doing this Monday. It's a very special edition of Straight Talk with ABC News contributors Matt Dowd and LZ Granderson. They're going to be going to their hometown of Detroit for a discussion with business leaders and community activists about the issues facing voters today. And I will be there in Detroit with them, also with another great friend and Detroit native, Ron Fournier. So please tune in at 7 p.m. Eastern this Monday on abcnews.com and on Facebook Live. All right, back to the show. And we're pleased to be joined here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast by Dr. David Shiner, professor of medicine at the University of Illinois, Chicago. He was also Barack Obama's personal physician for 22 years, which left him in the position of certifying his health. This is so. This is such a cool thing, certifying his health uh, when he ran for president uh, back in 2008. So you're one of the few people on the planet who has is, is been intimately involved in this rather odd custom we have of, of personal doctors attesting to the fitness, releasing records. Uh, and you were critical of both candidates. Even before Hillary Clinton's health scare, you said, we don't know nearly enough about either of these candidates, 68 years old, 70 years old. Uh, that in the last few days we've seen it, you know, by virtue or by by standards of this campaign, an avalanche of information about Hillary Clinton's health, about Donald Trump's health. Is it enough? How do we know enough at this stage about the two candidates' health with their physicals and with additional information from doctors? Well, one thing I want to make a comment on: uh, what I saw yesterday the letter that uh, Dr. Bagot wrote about her pneumonia, and I must say. Uh, she did something which really impressed me and made me think this is a doctor, you know, a quality doctor. She got a CAT scan, not just a simple chest X-ray. And that was smart because having had two blood clots in her legs, uh, there's always a possibility that she could have had a blood clot go into her lung with a pulmonary embolism. And a CAT scan would rule out that. So, I mean, that was a very, very smart thing uh, to have done. Now, all that, um, in terms of uh, what we should know, uh, in truth, I think we should be able to see the medical uh, medical records. The only thing that I think perhaps, I, and the question is, who should see them? Uh, I'm not sure that the public should necessarily have a complete access or, you know, a report. But I think uh, an objective uh uh, some kind of objective panel of physicians who could review those. And in fact, I think the, the question of health reports being written by uh, the personal physician, I, I no longer think that's valid. We've seen, for example, that really? Trump's, doctor has obviously, he, Trump's doctor has obviously lied. I mean, there's no question. He said, remember earlier he said Trump uh, exercised regularly. Now we find that Trump doesn't exercise at all. Uh, and you didn't even get to the big that, the, the, that he'd be the healthiest individual ever to serve in the presidency in the history yeah, of the republic. Healthier than George Washington, who yeah, was well, quite I a guy. I mean, that guy could throw a quarter all the way across the Potomac. Obama could have bench pressed uh, you know, if he weren't so fat. You know, uh, Trump is. Uh, <laughs> if you look at him, I mean, he's not. Uh, he, he doesn't look like a picture of health. But the problem is, uh, if you go back in, even in history. The reports that we've gotten from personal physicians, apart from just their being candidates and their reports, you know, a, a personal physician, uh, Grover Cleveland, hid his cancer surgery. Woodrow Wilson's doctor, Grayson, hid the uh, extent of his stroke. We never knew that uh, Franklin Roosevelt was so totally disabled by her polio. We didn't know about the Addison's disease, which is a horrendous, uh, dangerous disease of uh, John Kennedy. 
and so I don't think this is, and these are people who are paid by the candidate. You know, they get fees from them. Uh, they may have a very close personal relationship with the candidate. And I mean, it, it's, it would be hard to write a nasty, or not a nasty, but a, uh, a health report, which sort of uh, showed, you know, serious mis- uh, problems. Well, well, let me ask you, 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 were, yeah. you were Obama's personal physician. You wrote the letter attesting to his health. Obviously, right. he's, you know, an incredibly healthy guy. Would you have whitewashed something? I'm not saying outright lied, but would you, would you have whitewashed something if, uh, if, if there were something that, you know, he wanted to, to soft pedal? I think it's cons- I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to put yourself in that position. Uh, I think it would have been very difficult for me. Uh, to put something out uh, that was really uh, harmful uh, in terms of his uh, status. I, I don't know if I would have done that or not. I'd like to think that I have more integrity. Uh, I would have been honest about that. But it's a terrible position to be put in. And that's why, because it is such a terrible position, I think the whole thing has to change. And it's too late when they're already the nominee. If somebody is a serious candidate, I think they should be... That, you know, if you become... Join the military. They put you through a very extensive examination, including psychological evaluation. That's to be a soldier, a sailor. But the commander-in-chief who's in charge of all the troops, there is no requirement of anything. I think that should change. And I, I think in the, in the other part of it is that I think neuropsychological testing, which is done by a psychologist, not by the general internist, I think that should be done. On all. We want to know about their emotional stability. There may be things there that are problems. They may have cognitive uh, issues that are not uh, immediately apparent. And I think that if somebody's running for office before the primary is going to affect, I think the public should, that they should be aware of. Because this could, you know, these, these people, that's the most powerful office in the world. Uh, I mean, it's too late now to do it, obviously. But uh, uh, I think I think this, I think the whole uh, program of vetting uh the candidates has to change, and it has to be an objective person. A personal physician has a vested interest in the person, and he and it has to temper uh, what they what they write. So, Doctor Shiner, let's get specific because you got a little specific in your letter, and we know a lot about what the, each of them have have gone through in the past because they've been in the public eye, both of them for you know four decades or so. What would be kind of the top three questions you'd want answered as a as a physician making this kind of inquiry about both of them? Start with Hillary Clinton. What would you want to know about Hillary Clinton, and what do you want to know about Donald Trump specifically about their health backgrounds that we don't know? Uh, see, in terms of Hillary. I'd like to know a little bit more about Hillary's blood pressure. Uh, you know, she's fainted twice, and I, I'd be sort of interested. They never mentioned whether she, anybody had checks her for what we call orthostatic blood pressures. That's lying and standing blood pressures. Because there are people who uh, have an issue uh, with, uh, you know, when they stand up, the blood pressure drops. Uh, and, and with her, for example, uh, being in the heat where she loses some fluids perhaps, and then standing for a prolonged period of time with the blood pools in her legs, you know, that could have caused her uh, to lose the blood pressure, uh, lower the blood pressure and faint. What about Trump? Like, what, what, what do you want to know about Trump? No, the, beyond the beyond what he's know. told Dr. Oz. What, what, what would you well, like to know one, about him? The first thing I'd like to know, actually, and this has, it's, has a personal connection with me, uh, I served two years in the service. It was my military obligation, and I didn't, I didn't evade it. I would like to know about his deferment in Vietnam due to bone spurs. 
uh, bone spurs was one of the most common diagnoses used to get people out of serving. And if you had enough money, you could go to a doctor and he'd write you a letter. That would I don't know if he did this or not, but it raises a serious question in my mind. Here was a guy who apparently was athletic, uh, and here now he gets uh, deferred because of bone spurs. I would sort of like to see uh, x-rays of his uh, feet right now. If he has bone spurs now, they could have developed subsequent to that time. But if he has no bone spurs, if he has no pathology of his feet, then I'd be uh, a little bit uh, wondering about what the validity of that deferment. But but the so purpose of thing. but the person but the purpose of a medical medical records medical review is not to see whether or not the candidate has lied about something in no, the past. It's to see how healthy issue. they are. That was a health that was a health disability that kept him out of service. Mm, right. That was his health, and I think I don't think we should let that one go. I think that people died who served because they had no way to get a doctor. They couldn't afford a doctor to uh, write him an excuse. I think this is, this is a part of his health record. Now, there's other, another part of it. He has a long history of peculiar things in his history. For example, when he was either eight or nine, he punched a teacher in the face and gave her a black eye, a shiner, as it were. Uh, then... Uh, uh, here, you know, rich people or well-to-do people, when they send their kids away, they usually send them to prep school. That's where I went. He went to a military school. Now, why do people send kids to military school? Well, he sends them to military school often because there's issues of discipline and control, self-control. I don't know if that's true. Or Wait not. a minute. With Donald Trump? Issues Donald of self-control? Trump exactly. Donald Trump, self-control. Now, the other thing is... Uh, and Sanjay Gupta last night criticized me for saying this. Uh, I think there, there may be a serious personality disorder. I think other people have talked about it, a narcissistic uh, personality disorder, possibly even hypomania. I don't know. His grandiosity and his, his, his manners are, are peculiar, they're bizarre. If a patient in my office spoke like he spoke, said, I'm a very, very rich man. I have one of the best brains around. I know more than anybody you know, I know more uh, physics than the Nobel Prize winners. I know more about the, the military than the generals do. Something, but he said something like that, and that's bizarre. And I think that warrants uh, an evaluation. All right. Well, Dr. Schneider, thank you very much for joining us. Barack Obama's uh, former doctor, uh, who later, I did not realize, uh, became a, a critic of the Affordable uh, Care Act. I, I don't imagine he's going to be uh, calling you up when he gets out of office again. I wanted Universal Medicare. Universal Medicare, okay. So but how does not... he look? I mean, Doctor, how does he look? How, does, how is he, we talk a lot about him aging? I'm just curious, someone that, that knew him so well and so uh, you know so well from a medical perspective. How does he look like he's aged over the last eight years? Well, the most obvious thing is his uh, gray, the graying of his hair. Uh, although that's hard to know if that's you know. Yeah, we can fix that too. Stress. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that that happens. You know, I mean. He's maintained his uh, body weight. He obviously must be exercising. As far as I know, he's uh, given up smoking. He's still on the Nicorette, apparently. Uh, but uh, I think, by and large, his physical health is uh, is good. I suspect he's still wiry and uh, steely muscles. I'm sure Michelle keeps him in that uh, kind of shape anyhow. <laughs> Who's in better shape, Michelle or Barack? Uh, she's in incredible shape. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a close... I mean, they set a good role models, uh, I think, for the country in that respect and maintaining their weight. Now, you know, I still don't know what Trump's BMI is, by the way. It's funny you should say that because the, uh, the New York Times crunched the numbers based on what was said on the Dr. Oz show. And uh, 
came up with a, uh, a BMI of a little bit over 30, which put him into what is technically tubby. obese, not just overweight, tubby, even, but obese. Even, uh, by, I'm just using the tubby range. Uh, I'm just using the use, technical term here, a t- tubby. Yeah. Uh, but um, but in, in well, making the calculation, like the, the New York Times yeah. said that he was six point, he, he was six foot two inches and I thought he was six foot three. If you redo the numbers at six foot three, his BMI is at twenty nine point three, which puts him into simply overweight. I don't imagine he would appreciate uh, being called obese or 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 tubby. Tubby. Now, I would pat him on the tummy and I'd say, "What do we call this?" And uh, I would tell my patients, "That's called jelly belly." <laughs> All right. <laughs> on, on that note, uh, Doctor Schneider, thank you very much for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Keep in touch. I will. Thank you so very much. Bye. Thank you. So, Rick, do you think that the Times was trying to needle Trump a little bit in that? I, I, I that really kind of jumped. It was just in the middle of the article. And he said, "By the way, his BMI." He said he's about six point six, you know, six two. How tall is he? I mean, I uh, he goes by six three, and and he would a, never exaggerate his height. No, would he? no, he's he's a big guy in every way, though, and and he acknowledges as much. I mean, this is a, a rare acknowledgement from Trump that he's got any flaws at all. But he does tell uh, Dr. Oz that he could stand to lose a little weight, and he realizes that you know ten or fifteen pounds coming off. You know, I I I think the questions around his health are fascinating in part because. He builds himself up as this guy with this incredible, uh, this credible energy, even though we know he, he feasts on fast food, including McDonald's and KFC, which, you know, you know I don't do. And he's a little bit older. Uh, and and he, he professes not to have a lot of exercise. He talks about how, you know, he, him performing at, uh, at, at political rallies is, is a form of exercise. I don't know that that counts. I, I don't think I get – does your Fitbit go off when you're – yeah, I don't, I, don't I, don't I don't know. I don't know. He does use the, his hands a lot. I, doc, mean, I don't think a doctor would, would accept that as, as actual physical activity. Um, so, you know, he's golfed over the years, but he doesn't have a particularly, you know, he, he doesn't play basketball like Obama did. And uh, he doesn't spend a lot of time or any time in the gym that we know of. So, you know, what we, what we see is what we get with him. And he just let, lets that his own personal vigor speak for itself. Uh, he does seem to have energy. We, 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 we can no say that, right? That. I mean, uh, you know, you, you see the guy go, although his campaign schedule is not quite uh, what, um, you know, it, 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 you know it, it's, it's a fairly easy schedule he keeps. He does his, his 7 o'clock rallies and then he goes home. It's good Sometimes, to be on your own plane. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's actually great to have your own plane. And that's a nice plane, Rick, as, as, as I know you know. It is indeed. Um, all right. Well, I think that's it for Powerhouse Politics. Rick, what else do we know? I mean, what, what, what are we looking for? What a weird week. I mean, you know, think about the meanderings that we've had over this. And, uh, you know, let's get to get to really serious pieces of this right now. We're seeing the tightening in in, in the map and everywhere. But, you know, this next this next 11 days, 10 days before the debate, man, can you think of a more high profile period? And what I'm interested in, John, is how you change the storyline going into it, because as we know, these debates tend to be creatures of the moment and the news environment that we're in. And if this debate had happened this week, you know, they'd be debating health. Hillary Clinton doesn't want to have that debate right now. Maybe she wouldn't in a week and a half, but she wants it to be a different one. And, and the way outside events intrude, so you're going to see some very aggressive efforts by both campaigns to define the contours of the debate, kind of work the refs going into it, and what an event it's going to be. Yeah, it feels to me that barring some kind of another coughing episode or something with Hillary Clinton, that health is going to feel like a very old story uh, 10 or 11 days from now. And, you know, we have two two people on the older side, uh, and, uh, presidential candidates, uh, but you know, both of them have released some information. Hillary's is much more extensive, no doubt about it. 
Uh, but I, I, I get the sense that health at the end of the day, again, barring some other episode, uh, is not going to be key in 11 days and probably not on November 8th either. Uh, but that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Uh, thank you for listening. Please sign up you know, uh, to, to the podcast on iTunes, or on Stitcher, or abcnewspodcast.com. Give us a rating. Tweet at us. We'll read your tweets. Hashtag Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. <laughs>